Hello and welcome to Canine Hooper's World, the podcast. A whole new world of fun. Everyone's invited. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 38 of Canine Hooper's World, the podcast. Now this next guest coming up, this lady came onto my radar um, beginning of the year doing some dog training comedy sketches and I'm not gonna lie I actually snorted um they're hilarious and any dog trainer can relate so I would like to introduce you to the absolutely fabulous Siobhan hello my love hello carrie how are you I am very good how are you I am I, do you know what I'm better than should be expected so I am good good so if people haven't guessed you're over in Ireland yes <laughs> <laughs> if people don't know you who are you what do you do where are you based so I'm over in Dublin Ireland um I'm a dog trainer became a dog trainer by default um my son was diagnosed with a serious illness back in 2007 and I was actually um a year and a half into a midwifery course at the time so I was studying midwifery and I left and we had to look after him and everything and, and his illness progressed so when it was a couple of years later and he was I, I'm trying to keep this normal routine, this young boy back in the school. No, you're fine. Let's go. Let's keep going. You take a lot of medication in the morning. You get him into school. And I found myself at home. And I thought, right, well, what am I going to do with myself? And I was in this quandrum where I couldn't commit to going back to work because it's a phone call from the school. He's not well. You need to come home. Mm-hmm. So what I love was getting out with the dog. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm trying to come in. Um, I, <laughs> right, your body just went then. I was like, oh no, we've lost her. No, it was a call trying to come in. I started to um, get out with the dogs, go to some obedience classes, and then started entering some obedience competitions. Mm-hmm. And on the back of that, I started doing some voluntary work at a rescue center. Um, and so I could come and go as I pleased there, and you pick up some skills. And then I started doing some dog walking. And then, look, I was always curious. I always wanted to know more. Um, and interestingly enough, it was actually when my daughter started uh, school and I wasn't quite happy with the primary school set up with 32 children, one teacher. And I was looking at the Montessori. And so um, my son initially had gone into Montessori. It was so hard to find uh, the right one. And for my daughter, my youngest daughter, I was trying to get um, someone near me that was into Montessori. And I ended up coming across an article that mentioned Ivan Pavlov. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And as a result of that, then I got involved with reading all about this conditioning and classical natural, because I never heard of it before. Back in Ireland in the 1980s, it just wasn't something that we talked about. So that's how my journey kind of evolved from there. And then between the fostering, all the courses that I've done, getting it wrong more often than you get it right <laughs> the continuous developing you know it right the continuous developing of education yeah. I mean even a clicker training like oh my god clicker training is amazing I hardly use clicker now it's funny I used to use clicker quite a lot and then it was not free shaping okay we do free shaping instead so there's this constant involvement with it and that's how uh, my journey through dog training started so it wasn't something I, I said when I was 14 or 15 I want to be a dog trainer I wanted to go and do something in the medical side um, mm-hmm. but this is where my journey led me to 
And it's amazing. And I always joke that I'm the worst dog trainer in the world because I never have a clicker on me. Um, because I don't, but my voice is loud enough and it's there all the time. So I verbal mark a lot. And yeah, like I will yeah. use a clicker. I mean, I think Dodge, the um, the creature, I don't think he actually kind of got introduced to a clicker properly till he was probably about six or seven months old because I just always use the verbal marker with him. So yeah, cool. But yeah. let's talk about the comedy because if people haven't seen your stuff on Facebook like they need to is it just Facebook you do the comedy stuff on or have you got a TikTok or no it's a, the videos are too long for TikTok apparently I'm not a oh. TikToker but apparently they're too long for TikTok so yeah I just throw them up on Facebook and I have a Siobhan's comedy page um so they started with as you know our world kind of changed last year yeah uh, for everybody and we were all in this lockdown and, and back here in Ireland we had this two kilometer lockdown you're really restricted you weren't allowed to meet anyone and and you're at home um and while I'm at home I started to get emails in that I started to have a trend to them now I've always been a bit quirky Let's just say that. I've always been a bit quirky and I've always been fond of using my sense of humor to uh, maybe describe events or to engage with people. So when this trend of emails start to come in, people that got the new puppy and we're in lockdown and can you help? And you start asking some of these questions because we weren't doing Zoom calls back then mm. um, as a way of delivering training. It wasn't the platform used for training. So the emails would come in and I noticed this pattern that started to happen in them. So we were already aware of all of your crossbreeds, your cockapoos and your, your doodles and whatever else that happening. But there seemed to be an almost, well, now that we're at home, we've decided to get the dog. Um, there's very little dogs around, so we got this dog. And it's so unsuitable for the environment. And I just thought, oh, crikey, why? Um, and our role, our job is to help people, is to advise them. Yeah. But the dogs were, I mean, I'll give you an example. I had a lady that said that she had uh, some autism and that they had tried to go down the road, the road of getting an autism assistance dog for him. But there was a big long waiting list and they have to fundraise tens of thousands or thousands and thousands of euros. Mm -hmm. um, so they decided to go and buy their own dog. And I replied with, well, you know, I'm not an autism certified uh, trainer, but I could absolutely do all your puppy stuff, all your loose lead walking, all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I said, have you picked out a breed of dog? And she came back and she said, Glen of a Mau. And I thought, why? <laughs> why? Why? Who did you want to get a Glen of a Mau as an assistance dog for a seven-year-old boy? <laughs> so hang on, but just, just to jump in quickly, for people that are not familiar with the breed, because I'm not massively familiar, give, people, give the listeners a kind of a little bit of a visual <laughs> of what sort of dog they're talking about because it's not a labrador <laughs> absolutely 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 they are not labradors these are a hardy so they're just small enough they're compact enough kind of like um maybe miniature schnauzer size mm -hmm. um just to give it a breed sample in terms of size but these dogs are solid these were designed to hunt a uh, badger to pull badger out of their <clears> den <throat> now if you've, if you've ever seen a badger Right, you've got claws that are the size of my hand. 
and they're really skilled. They can be quite affectionate, by the way, just to want to say that in case of any Glenavimal fanatics listening, they can be quite affectionate, right, living there. But this is a working, really hardy breed of dog, may not necessarily go out there and look to cause trouble, but should something come its way, it doesn't back off easily. So when we have a dog like that, I'm gonna say, well, my reply was to the lady, I would seriously consider that that is not the appropriate breed of dog for you. Um, and, you know, what what do the family like? What's their day to day like? What's the typical uh, Monday to Friday routine? Where do you see a dog fitting in? What training? Has your son got any sensory issues? And I heard nothing back because my opening line was, I don't think that this is the ideal breed mm. to have. So next thing, about two months later, I get a call. No, actually, it was three months later because the puppies were, and I say puppies, were five and a half months and had started to seriously fight with each other. So they got two of them. Oh, geez. Look, nope, that's not a thing. <laughs> so for the listeners that remember the episode I did with Emma and also Jodie talking about littermates and terrier littermates and how trainers are telling you that this is not the best plan and these are trainers that live with littermate terriers pet home with littermates is hard work pet home with terrier littermates breeds that are designed to kill things because that's what they're bred to do is probably not the best plan especially if you want the dog to be some sort of kind of emotional support or medical support dog absolutely absolutely so the, the comedy evolved as a way of saying because again, I repeat, our job is to support them, is to give them advice, it's to you know be there to listen to them. But the comedy evolved as a way of the instead of banging my head off the wall, <laughs> I can do these comedy skits where people ring and they're looking for advice, and then they don't take your advice. And so it became as the outlet for that. That's what happened then. Um, and then it evolved, and and again it was the common things that we have. So uh, another classic one that I did was on the dog with, hey, look, you don't have to do training. It's a collie. So th- this client was, well, we got our first dog, the border collie. We've never owned the dog before. I heard they're really intelligent and that's why we went for the breed. And I said, really intelligent should have been the alarm bell. Really, in- I, I was like 20 years before I lived with a full collie. I can't cope with a dog that's smarter than I am, right? So um, when they're telling you these things, and the reason we're getting them is because they're really intelligent and therefore their understanding was they didn't need a lot of training because they were so intelligent. Mm-hmm. And so one of my comedy skits was, oh, yeah, you know, when you ordered your puppy, did you tick the box with like a pre-trained before you ordered it? You know, um, and this was what I was kind of saying in the comedy. So it was an outlet because um, we, we always try to support and we always try to give advice, but people will, will do what they want to do at the end of the mm-hmm. day. The heart wants what it wants and then they come to you and very often and sadly we can't fix the problem because the dog is in the wrong environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it became it became a, something fun to do during a very dark period of a lot of people's lives in lockdown with a lot of anxiety and stress. It, came, it became a way of instead of banging my head off the wall, I could use this as a platform, as a channel to communicate communicate and that's where the comedy routines have come from and but I they are they are genuine a lot of trainers have seen that I know I did myself and when this this is I have to share this because it is a bit tongue-in-cheek but 
as all good comedy, there is a big part of reality attached to the comedy. I mean, the one you did the other day about the uh, with the HD brows and the French shit poo. Oh my god, I was yeah. just like, that's hilarious because, yeah. like, first of all, I'm. I'm not a purist, but I feel that a lot of the dogs that are being crossed are just being crossed for the sake of it. And they're not, there's no thought going into what we're crossing to improve a breed. We're just crossing stuff to make other stuff, but just because it might be cute. I mean, most trainers will have dealt with a cockapoo that resource guards and the poor family have never had a dog before. And they've got this thing that looks like a teddy bear, but is actually Satan. And you're yeah. like, but did you not like it? The lack of kind of research, I think, going into getting a dog is terrifying. Um, I'm assuming over in Ireland, it's just as bad as it is over here, because you literally have people just buying the first dog that's available with no kind of pre-thought. I mean, that's how I ended up with Dodge, you know lovely family bought their first pet dog and ended up with a working line shepherd that to be honest is at times a liability <laughs> absolutely absolutely I, I actually had one I actually had a client last week that got a German shepherd puppy they have a 17 year old cavalier king charles they would be not an active family let's just say that they live in a fairly small home and they got a brand new um, eight week old. I saw him at nine weeks, German Shepherd puppy because his mate's dog had a litter. That was the reason his mate's dog had a litter. And he said to me, he said, oh, you're not happy with that because my facial expression was something like, seriously. And he went, oh, you're not happy with that, are you? And 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 the, the big thing, because I normally give puppies that two weeks to settle in in case anything weird or wonderful shows up, in case you end up with some jardia, which is very common with the diarrhea and that. Yeah. And I normally give them that time to settle in, but they were like, can you please come? And and I wondered what the urgency was. So before the puppy arrived, he was looking to book in. I thought, brilliant, love him, there's some that's prepared. But the reason for it was because his wife is terrified of dogs. And yeah. <laughs> So, <laughs> so, so for the listeners, I, my jaw has just hit the floor. My eyes yeah. have come out on stalks, and my what the actual fuck face was placed on. Like, oh my god, yeah. a shepherd is the worst. If you're not sure of dogs, like the last thing you need in your world is a shepherd, ever. Yeah, we. I mean, land sharks, right? They're land sharks. <laughs> so I have. I say, put the treat in your hand. Put it under his chin. He'll use his tongue to take it. And she was so anxious about delivering the treat. What happened was she put it down, pulled the hand back real quick as the dog went for it and nicked her finger and then made a big drama about this, this like microscopic little nick, this big drama and lock, 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 lock. I told you he's really vicious. And I'm thinking, no, he's not. He's a puppy. But this was I, like this. It was a shepherd tough kiss. They happen. It's part of owning a shepherd. You get tough kisses. Yeah. So this is this is what the outlet for the comedy was because I thought you know I can't say to them, I really want to say to them what the actual f were you thinking here, 
Um, so this is, I, I take these, I take all of this background and go, okay, yeah, comedy, puppy coming in, no realistic expectations, and I'm going to turn this into a comedy skit. And that ended up being the real, the way that the comedy developed from there. And they are based on these real life scenarios that we're all experiencing. Yeah. And as you said, okay, cockapoo, but if I've got something like it, a cocker, uh, what did he call that? It was a cocker schnoodle doodle. And I thought he was having a laugh. Cockapoo, mum. Mm-hmm. Now the poodle dad offspring. Oh. And I said, okay, if I'm dealing with a Labrador, I'm dealing with a Labrador. Mm-hmm. If I'm dealing with a collie, I'm dealing with a collie. I don't even know what that is there that you have. There are so many genetic influences there. We don't know what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. And behavior by genetics is much less predictable than behavior by training. Uh, but at least with the genetics of a lab, I'm looking at a lab, right? Mm-hmm. And a German Shepherd, I'm looking at a German Shepherd. But if you're going to take a puppy whose mom was already a crossbreed of poodle with schnauzer, or was it poodle with cocker spaniel, and then the dad was schnauzer poodle, and you're going to take this dog and just go, well, you know, he's a bit nuts. And I'm like, really? He is, is he? Because it, it is crazy. And they're paying thousands. They're, they're literally paying. I shared an ad where somebody in the UK was selling a puppy for nine and a half thousand pounds sterling. Mm-hmm. And it was a cockapoo. So nine and a half thousand. I've seen Frenchies up for 15 grand. Christ. For a Frenchie. And, and, that, well, my first question is, can it breathe? Because, yeah. you know... Um, it it yep. helps. I know we've actually, so now um, over here, there is now a vet surgery that specializes, like a referral vet that specializes in brachiocephalic breeds and making them breathe correctly. Okay. Because Good. of how badly these pugs, these Frenchies, these Bostons, even some of the Chihuahuas are just, there's no thought to the process of, of the breeding it's just a case of sling it together and see how much money you can make I mean years ago nine to be precise I had a litter of chihuahuas I vowed to never ever ever do it again because do you know what it was so hard work mama was amazing princess chica was the best mama dog you could ever hope for in your life I had two healthy puppies and a stillborn um we had emergency cesarean so that side of it was all bloody nightmare anyway But the actual just having the puppies and making sure that I was, and puppy culture wasn't really a thing then. Like I didn't know about any of that Mm. stuff. I wasn't even a dog trainer back then. You know, I was kind of, I would say a competent owner. And I was like, you know, my dad had bred um, poodles actually when when I was growing up. We had little poodles that dad bred. And I was kind of confident that I was, you know, doing different sounds, different smells, different textures. And I think I gave them a pretty rounded, you know, basis of the world. Would I do it again? Hell no. It was hard work. And I, I think the breeders that are charging a fair amount for their puppies because they put the time and the effort and the work in, I've got so, so much respect for decent breeders. Yeah. The assholes that are just going out and putting anything together to make money, like, no. It's it's not a thing, but the yeah. problem is consumers are driving it because 
everyone wants a puppy and now the rescue centers are getting full up because everyone's going back to work now and people are not prepared for adolescence like i'm not gonna lie to you dodge going through adolescence i've done a whole webinar on it for dog training college because i was not prepared for that and i've been a trainer for a decade now and i was not ready for adolescence like that was a whole thing that just wow okay so when we talk about like the public and stuff, it's really hard because as you say, we want to support, but also there are times you just go, why? <laughs> yeah. And you can, and the only thing that's going to suffer is the dog at the end of it, Jen. So the other thing that has started to happen big in Ireland is that the dogs, the designer crossbreeds, and I hate labeling them that, these fluffy things, they were being sold at such extraordinary amounts of money yes. that people started to go, well, I want the dog. What's cheap? What will I get? So back in Ireland, if you were back in 2019, you could get a Border Collie puppy for 50 quid. Heck, you could even get them free. Mm. And then you get something like a, a beagle for maybe 100 quid, 150 quid, because nobody wants them. And they have these massive litters and everything. But then what happened was they became the cheaper of the, the dogs that were out there to buy. And then they started going to homes that were absolutely unsuitable for the dog completely unsuitable and you know and i love beagle puppies oh my god they're so gorgeous but i wouldn't know one no i would no one no no i know i wouldn't they're so gorgeous so you have people that um the the one that i had a few weeks back we have um got it for a present for her son who was five or six i think maybe six when he got it as a present uh works full-time husband is working shift and the problem was the dog was crying um during the day when husband was trying to sleep so i asked my questions and i said when does this dog actually get out what exercise does he have well sometimes if the husband isn't too tired after shift he'll take him out and then other times he has to wait till the lady comes home from work so you're leaving a beagle in a postage stamp size patch of garden nothing to do um and why i said why did you get a beagle and she said well you know i was i was looking around i was looking around they were so expensive and then i saw these puppies and they were only 600 euro and i'm thinking well but you that's know, not a reason to buy it's like people are like you know when you pass your driving test you don't like your first car isn't a Range Rover or a Ferrari. Like you get like a little Corsa or a Fiesta or something. Like back in the day, it was a little micro, you know, you'd get a little car. You wouldn't start driving around in a great big blooming Bentley. Cause it's just silly. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. <laughs> So, so this, this is the thing. So, uh, yeah. So, so now you can see. I should be doing comedy all the time because there's a lot. There's the a lot material, the way, material right? you've got, babe. I tell you, like, because no. the thing is, and we'll be honest here as trainers, beagles are like one of the cutest, most delicious things ever, and their ears are just. Oh, I could eat them, right? Divine, right? They are literally delicious, but. Oh my God, unless you really want to do scent work and want to put a shit ton of effort into your recall training, no one needs a pet beagle. Exactly. 
Exactly. I say to them, you know, I was judging obedience for five or six years pre-lockdown. Do you know how many beagles I saw in a, in a competition um, ring, even taking the beginners, even taking the pre-beginners class into equation? Zero. None. Because they don't like to do sit weights in the middle of a field with loads of things going on around them. So, and they, and these people are realistically looking for this dog to do nothing for eight, 10, 12 hours a day. Mm -hmm. So I'm saying to them a one minute sit stay, very difficult in, at home. Yeah, no problem. You take it out into the middle of the field where a lot of our obedience competitions are and you've got a different issue happening here. So th this is the thing. There is lots of material to fill up that comedy. For sure there is. You know, is that is that our drinking? And unfortunately, I've got to drive. So it's coming out somewhere. <laughs> I love that. That's amazing. So what made you pick obedience over? Could you do agility as well, don't you? I do. Yes. Yeah. And I prefer agility. Um, I prefer agility because what what happened with me with the obedience was the formality of the movements, the heel, and we were moving away from using the word heel. We were looking at loose lead walking. And then this really was a trained behavior, but not something I was doing every day with my dog. I wanted her to walk on a lead without killing me. But when I started back in 1989, it was no, get your dog the heel. Yes. Because that's where they should be walking. So I started to kind of break away from it a little bit because it wasn't, and it wasn't what my clients were looking for. They wanted a dog to walk. But competition heel work, as you know, is a close tight exercise done at different paces. So, so um, hard and so precise and just yes. it hurts your head yeah <laughs> and I tried to do I remember one day I entered the obedience ring with this dog here and the agility with the two dogs over here um between going in and competing my round in the obedience for the first so let's say it was heel free heel on lead heel free recall and dumbbell retrieve and then you have to wait till everybody's done those exercises you go back in and do your stays i had to watch that ring there waiting to see what was going on in the agility ring here and then go in and compete in the agility ring and you made an arse of it because your brain is halfway over there yeah. so I, I couldn't do both but I was um, already with the kennel club as an obedience judge so I went into doing the um, obedience judging bit and you know I kind of just do two three appointments but I do it because I love saying to the new people coming in just go in and have fun Go in and have fun. Talk to your dog. There's no mistakes. You're going to take the best dog home with you at the end of the day, no matter what happens. And if you think we haven't been down the road of a dog that stops to have a poo in the ring or a dog that jumps on the judge to say hello, I said, we've all been there. So I love being able to give people that confidence because sometimes still um, I find with obedience that some of the judges are still very formal and looking for a lot of precision work. And it can be quite off-putting for some mm. new people coming in. And so um, I still like to kind of dip in and out of it just so I can kind of impart those little bits of wisdom and maybe encourage someone else again um, to go into the ring. But I think my heart lies in the agility work. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. And I'm like, you know, myself, I, I do hoopers. My whole world is now hoopers. The existence is hoopers. But for me, Originally, my plan for the creature was um, possibly IPO, something like that. Did not mm. have the correct temperament. Um, that became very apparent very quickly. 
And he was always going to do hoopers because, you know, that's what I do. And I've now got the shepherd. So let's do hoops. Let's do distance handling. And as it is, that's now the path we've picked. But I think that there's so many different dog sports people can choose. And I've got so much time and respect for, you know, people that train obedience and train like heel work sports. And I'd like to do some heel work to music in the future because that looks kind of fun yeah. to me. And you don't get many chefs doing that. So I think, I, you know, I'll just lose my kneecap every time we do a spin or a twist and it's fine. <laughs> It is like having an articulated lorry doing a spin next to you. There's, it's a whole thing. But anyway, but like speaking with um, like Kamal and um, like Carla and Jodie, they, so Carla and Jodie, you'll fully appreciate, and Emma, they, um, Jodie and Emma have terriers and Carla does obedience with a foxhound and a toller. So, and a staff. Her, seriously, her foxhound when peaches moves it's like poetry it's stunning wow wow but you see foxhounds have this stand that when they stand they are they are just graceful they she are they goes, are like ballet right look at me and yeah. you're like I, i'm looking because she's just stunning but you know it's it's nice to hear that there are still judges out there that are trying to support and bring people in because I think obedience has got a bit stuck in in the dinosaurs a little bit. Probably gets hold of saying that. Um, over here we have obviously the com British Competitive Obedience Society because that have taken stays out because that was a massive thing that put me off. The thought of putting him in a ring with other dogs in a stay without an adult supervisor was no. <laughs> but I, <laughs> he always needs adult supervision. Um, so do I most of the time, to be fair. <laughs> You know, I think that like sports like hoopers and agility appeal a bit more because they're just a bit more fast and fun. And also, I like the challenge of turning up and not knowing what that course is going to be and walking that yeah. course and going, oh, how do we handle this? How do we handle that? And I know some courses are very much speed courses. For me, I like the ones that are a bit more technical because he's a bit of a lump. Guaranteed, if we're going to get beaten, it's Collier or Kelpie. So when it's a bit more technical, actually, we're in chance of doing all right in those classes. And Excellent. I just, I love it. I love just also the the atmosphere of being at a show and the support and the friends you make. It is a little family, isn't it? It's like a dog sport family. Absolutely. It is It is a real family. It is really good just to get out. The simplest thing you can do if you're stressed is to go for a walk with your dog. Now put that into an environment where you have multiple people with similar goals, similar way of training, similar agenda, and you're out there and you're supporting each other. It is just a phenomenal experience. Equally, of course, one can say then if that if you go to an environment like that and you have a falling out or you disagree with someone or you don't like the way the trainer is, it can have that impact on you as well. Mm -hmm. But the simplest form of stress for me has just been just go for a walk. Just go. I actually I actually find it really difficult to go for a walk without a dog. Really, really difficult to go for a walk without a dog. Yep. For yeah, someone I, who's just I, done some stupid fitness challenge through September. I concur that doing anything without a dog is just stupid. <laughs> yeah, I, I just said, uh, I just can't, oh, you know, we, we go for a nice lunch somewhere and then while we're sitting and having the lunch, we see that there's a lovely park there, let's go for a walk. And I'm like, 
feels weird. I've lost something. I, I can't I can't do it. It just feels wrong, right? So yeah, I just love getting out and I love the camaraderie and I love the banter from everybody at it and the cheers and the whole lot. And and if the dog makes an arse of it and you're there, are you making an arse of it that causes the dog to make an arse of it? Yes, it's usually us. Um, <laughs> if that happens, then you've got people that'll just say, What the heck were you doing there? and have a laugh. And yeah. you know, you're just over already. You don't go and beat yourself up over it. So yeah, I love it. I love the whole participation of it. It's the cheapest form of therapy for me is to get out and just be with dog and dog minded people. Yeah, yeah. So I always joke when I'm judging, my two most common phrases are either you did a thing when they've just done amazing or silly sat nav when the handler's just completely ballsed up the whole thing. I'm like, silly sat nav. Yeah. The dog's like, why the f did you tell me to go that way? The course went that way. But yeah. I, I love the fact that for me, um, I compete with UK Hoopers. I judge for those guys as well. And it's it is just such a lovely fun environment and when your dog does something amazing you know there are people there like supporting you and as you say if it doesn't go to plan you're gonna have someone there going <laughs> did you mean to do that but you also have the right as jokes aside the reason that happened was xyz and there'll be people there that if you ask for help will help you absolutely you know, I love, and sometimes you can watch another dog and as a judge, I try and give people a little bit of feedback, even if it's, if something went wrong, I'll be like, oh, your leg was slightly off or you lifted your arm up too high or whatever. And then you watch the dog run again later in the day and go, oh, they listen, they did it. And I love that. I'm, I've am i gone really? in the sports world now rather than the pet world because my filter broke. I just, my, my, and I know the fact that you've just killed you know exactly what yeah, I mean my filter yeah. I just no I couldn't anymore that whole so that's not ideal but let's work on a solution my what the fuck face just was on permanently and I went for it I just felt like I was dreading going to appointments and the whole point of being a trainer is that you're doing one of the best jobs in the world. And I wasn't enjoying it. And that was the point I went, you know what? I need a break from the pet stuff. I'm going to focus purely on hoopers. And the way my journey's taken me now, it's all I do. And I get to do a podcast and interview people and do all this cool stuff and spend time with other dog-minded people and help people that way. But to go into homes, like, you know, I still get people like, oh, will you come and do a puppy consult, whatever? And I'm like, no, I know this really good trainer and I just forward it on to one of my colleagues that's local because I want them to have the best start possible. And I feel that because my heart was kind of not in it anymore, I was going to do a disservice to potential clients because my heart wasn't there anymore. Yeah, yeah. You've, you've really got to find your niche. You've got to be brave enough to say, this is not working for me, mm. this and this, and it would be wrong. And, you know, I sometimes defer clients to someone else because I think, no, they've got more experience there. 
And likewise, I would get a lot of my colleagues that would refer clients with, say, deaf dogs or blind dogs to me because of my experience with them as well. So you do have to find your niche. And, and that has to be about finding that balance that fulfills not only your job as a trainer, but helps you as a person as well. Because look, life, life can be hard. Life can suck. It can suck the life out of you. You go to a client, you give them that two hours and you come home drained and you yeah. still have to function and you still have to, you know, cook a dinner, do the house, whatever, be there for your siblings, your partner, whatever. And this, if this client is sucking the life and you're not enjoying it, you don't recover well from it. So you can't yeah. give it to the next person then. So that that is, yeah, I agree with you. you you've got to just say, if it's not right for me, you will be doing a disservice to the person. And I think a lot of a lot of trainers, especially during lockdown, because a lot of trainers kind of businesses just had to shut and we had to try and find a new way of doing it. And as you say, like teaching over Zoom wasn't really a thing before the great choir happened. Mm -hmm. Like none of us did it. You might have like the odd like, oh, let's have a Skype meeting, but you never trained a dog through your computer screen. And I think exactly. it kind of opened the world up. Like, you know, I could say to someone, like someone spoke to me and said, oh, I've got a deaf dog. I've got a couple of trainers over here, but I could be like, oh, I actually have a really good trainer in Ireland. She does remote training now. So you could train with someone in, I don't know, France quite easily because we can do it all virtually now. But I also think that people assume that our job is all just playing with puppies and being covered in dog hair and it's yeah. really not <laughs> it's really not it's really 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 not yeah it's really not the the shepherd person that i told you about i mm. came out so devastated for that puppy um and i did the training plan keeping it simple but to the point this is what we need to do. This is, I sent the training plan. 10 minutes later, I got an email back with a question. 15 minutes later, email back with a question. 20 minutes later, another email back. And this is what the email said. Do you think it's okay if we muzzle, I'll just say the puppy, if we muzzle the puppy when he's around the 17-year-old dog? No. And I had <laughs> talked to them about... The 17 year old dog needs his time and space alone. He's 17 years of age. He has a whole back room he can be in there. So when I went to the home visit, a 17 year old was out the back on the cold. And I thought, why is he out there? Oh, the puppy keeps denying him. And I said, well, he needs to come in. He's an old guy. He needs to be in in the warmth. Um, and we need to talk about where the puppy can be. I said, you can get a pen. You can get a crate. You can get a baby gate. So he has this whole kitchen area and he doesn't have to be in and nine the older dog. And after doing all the explanation, the email comes in. Can we muzzle the nine week old puppy? And you just think, you know, the imposter syndrome. And you mm. go, did I not communicate that? Okay. Was there something I didn't say? Was there something I didn't do? And you go back and you look at your email you sent them. And, and it's not you, but you always ask the question. You always check in, ask the question. So it takes a lot out of you. That one client haunted me for the rest of the evening. And especially when that comment came in, I just thought, what 
the fuck was I actually doing there for two hours? And what is this training plan about? So yeah, it is a, and it, you know, you know that people think like that when they send you an email saying, oh, I'm thinking of leaving my job and starting as a dog trainer. And they have this all idea they're going to earn millions from it. And <laughs> it's going to be wonderful. And, no, everything. and I, I know. And I say to them, do you own a dog? the first thing I would do if I consider that is I'd go and I'd volunteer at a, a pet place a dog place for a couple of weeks couple of months let's see what happens there let's see how you feel about dogs jumping on you nipping you cleaning up shit all the time see mm. how that goes and then maybe we'll talk about it and I'm not saying not to go down that journey you might be the most amazing dog trainer in yeah. the world but giving up your job if you think that it's going to be all air and fluff and everything is gorgeous is not the attitude to have especially in the autumn winter months where mud and yeah. Rain. and yeah I, I mean I love the burr months I'm I'm an autumn girl I love the kind of change of weather and it's all cool although someone really did turn the heating down this week which was just rude of them but it's <laughs> I learned a lot from I was already kind of doing training stuff. I learned a lot about dogs and dog body language from doing the walking and having my own dogs integrating them with clients' dogs and us going on little group walks together. But actually, with you saying, like, you know, volunteer at Rescue Centre, anyone that's listening that's thinking, I'd love to be a trainer, I want to know more about dogs, I actually think volunteering at Rescue is one of the best ways of seeing the bones of it, really, and seeing the not-so-glamorous side and understanding that part of it does involve a little bit of heartache. For sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure it does. It does, you know, like even if it's, I've had, I think in my time, I've been very fortunate. I've had two dogs that I've had to say to them. One of them was a multi-dog situation and it was two terriers that were literally, it, it was going to end up with either one or two dogs dead. And I was like, look, one of them needs to be rehomed because the control, even putting control and management in with terriers, <laughs> like is virtually impossible because they'll fit through a gap that a rat can. They have got the tenacity and the audacity of anything you can think of. And you just, it was one of those situations. I was just like, personally, I would keep the old one, rehome the young one both lovely dogs it was just two male terriers in the home wasn't safe for working interviewed um Catherine last episode Catherine Hallam she lives with 22 dogs in her house there are baby gates there are areas they are put in specific groups because there's so much control and management in there and I think the mistake people make is they assume we come in with this magic wand flick it and then it's all fixed and they don't understand the time and effort. You know, people say, to, oh, my God, Dodge is so well-trained. He's amazing. He's very well-trained at Hoopers. He does some cool trick stuff. He's still a liability in public. <laughs> yeah. yeah I admit that my dog's a liability in public, and I don't take him there very often. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I say to clients, I, I, I have two or three dogs that are my default dogs I bring with me for assessments. They're amazing. Mm -hmm. And then I say to them, and I have a poodle. And my poodle is a complete arsehole. He is an absolute arsehole. He's What's so intelligent. Nice? He's a miniature poodle, but he hits a good 12 kilos. He's very solid. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's 
he's very, very solid. He was the biggest in the litter. He's so independent, so intelligent. And I can't take him with me because he has not got the patience to wait in the car. My other guys come out of the van as I need them. We rotate and he's like, no, 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 no. And of course, if you take him out to use, then you're giving into that and he gets rewarded for it. So I don't want to do it. So I just don't bring him. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah. I just don't bring him. No, I could I could say to him, hey, Finn, have you got a cold? And he'll sneeze. And I say, do you have COVID? And you do a big sneeze. And people say, oh my God, that's amazing. So while, oh while everybody God, else does that trick too. Yeah. So everybody thinks, oh God, he's amazing. He's brilliant. But I say, no, he's actually an arse. When he was two or three, before lockdown, he ended up going to grade five in agility. Brilliant. Can't get, him out of, can't get him out of grade five because he doesn't want to compete a full round. He does fabulous sit weights. I can lead out three or four jumps ahead of him. He does fabulous running contacts. Okay, go. And as he's going around the ring, if he catches the eye, oh, that's interesting. I'll just go and say hello to that first and come back in. <laughs> and he's so smart. And Oh, there was another call I don't, coming in, I think. Oh, me? There we go. Back. <laughs> I don't want to force him to fit into a box. Yeah. Um, and I have said, you know what? This is him. This is who he is. I learned years ago with my dog that I use, I rely on so much, Izzy, when I'm doing this assessments that dogs don't lie. And it's very possible Finn is not doing a full course because of something else I'm not aware of yet. Mm -hmm. It could just be that he's naughty. It could just be that he's like, you know, I'm going to be a dick. And when I come back, you're going to say, oh, clever boy, you came back because there's a hundred people around and you can't give out to me. So I'm going to do to God, right. My girls are the easiest ever. Boys are just knobs. Like, I don't think I, I would go for a bitch now all day long I don't think I would have another dog out of choice I would always go for a bitch now because I just think boys are dicks yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely and, and the hard work but he's it's just his intelligence um I ordered order toys actually from the UK and they arrived Christmas presents for the dogs and they arrived as I was heading out for a walk with them um and I oh good and I quickly opened up the box and went oh that's amazing that's fabulous and I put the box on top of the parrot's cage went for a walk at the time mum was alive called into mum had a bit of lunch where the dogs are there and all came back home about two and a half maybe three hours later I'm letting the dogs out the back of the car and they're running into the house and I heard the parrot doing this funny scream so I opened the sitting room door and Finn was climbing the parrot's cage to get to the toys that he saw for maybe 10 seconds in the box that were up there. And you're talking about like two and a half, three hours later. And he was, and I, I don't know his trainers know we're not meant to do that. We're not meant to humanize them. We're not meant to, but he had it in his head. I saw them up there and I want to be first in to get them. And he was all eager to get out of the car. Come on, I also love the fact that the parrot completely grasped him up. <laughs> yeah, Tony was like, screaming. And I opened the door and there he was with his little, his little monkey boy paws climbing up the cage to get to this box that's on the top of it. So, um, yeah, when you've, when you've got that genius, that intelligence, my friend Mary, she calls him an evil genius. Mm. When you've got that genius, that intelligence, then asking him to be slavishly obedient 
in the agility ring, which I thought would be the best outlet for his energy. There was free movement, but he still has to take instruction from me. And he thinks, yeah, well, I don't want to. So um, I just go, well, you know, it's just Finn. It's just Finn. And I could. I could take him home. I could kill him. I could beat him. I could say, you're going to do this and that's it. But what kind of person would I be? And what enjoyment would I get out of it? And so, so you know what? Um, I went in and I go to the judges and I say, I'm just going to apologize for the poodle now. And they see this lovely upright poodle, this perfect sit weight start line. And you might release him. Um, and he does this lovely first jump. And he does his running contact and into the tunnel. And I'm sure they're going, what's she talking about? And then you can nearly guarantee he actually a, a previous show, there was 21 obstacles. He gets up to 19. All he has to go through is through the tunnel, over the jump. And he decided to run around the back of the tunnel and then onto the top of it. Just why? <laughs> so think <laughs> of this. If you're looking for someone that's going to force your dog to comply, you've got the wrong dog trainer. Because I can't do it with my own dog, so forget yeah, about it. Exactly. It's not going to happen. So, so what other creatures do you share the house with? So, obviously, there's the it's an African grey, isn't it? You've got parrot wise. I've got an African grey. I've got an Argentinian tigu. I have a bearded dragon. I have a boa constrictor. I have twelve dogs, five cats, um, three children. Thankfully, they're. 27, 24, and 18, and one husband. <laughs> In that order. Because <laughs> so like, I love a bearded dragon, I'm not going to lie. Um, my cousin had one when um, we were growing up, and he was called Blink, and I loved him, and he was great. Um, Hubby is not convinced about reptiles as pets, and um, I'm not allowed any cats at the moment, which is very boring. Um, I was I was teaching in Durham at the weekend and there were um there was a stable yard and they had like an arena bit that was for the dogs and they had these two yard cats that were supposedly feral and there's a picture of me holding one of them and it snugged into my arm and I look like a Bond villain because the way the cat's looking in the camera, the flash has gone off. The cat's now got laser eyes. I've got this cheeky grin on my face because the cat's not meant to be in the dog's training area. And literally, I look like I'm set up for world domination. It's brilliant. But first of all, I found the dogs, the Dodgers never lived with a cat, but the girls all lived with cats. And they were all pretty easy and cool unless one of the cats ran. Then the chihuahuas would chase after. And then if the cat stops, the chihuahuas would stop very quickly because they knew that they're probably about to get a crack around the face from the cat. But I actually found kind of integrating the cat with the terrier and like the girls quite easy. Do you get called in a lot for kind of, oh, we've just got a kitten or we've just got a puppy and the poor 18-year-old cat sat there going, that thing in my... Yeah. Yeah, I do. I do. And I, I have clients with very unrealistic expectations of it in that I say, to them, well, your cat is 13, your puppy is 12 weeks and the cat was absolutely here first. And this will really stress the cat out. Mm -hmm. And they're saying, well, we just want them to get on. And I said, how do you envision that to happen? Um, and even asking them to put a baby gate up. And I've been to so many homes that are, you know, you're talking about million euros plus for these mm -hmm. homes 
and they do not want to put the baby gate up. And I suppose if you want them to cohabitate, two different species, a cat that has lived here for so long, a boisterous vizsla, which was the last one, a boisterous vizsla, and you have a cat, you're going to have to integrate them baby steps by baby steps by baby steps. Mm -hmm. And it's going to have to be led by the cat how much she's willing to tolerate and give her her space free and like her so they still had her bed in the kitchen and her cat litter in the utility room but the dog was sleeping in the utility room I went you're gonna have to move it yeah you have to move that's not a thing you know so this this kind of thing yeah and people say well how do you live with all of them and I well well it was hard work and to be fair we didn't set out to get reptiles we were asked to take the boa for a year while someone was emigrating um, for the year. They've gone off to Australia for the year, we're taken for the year. And I think it's maybe seven years later and they haven't come back. So <laughs> the boat is, yeah, the boat is still here. Um, and what happened with the tegus, my husband was going in to get frozen rats. And as someone who's kept pet rats, this does not sit well with me. Um, but this is what the boa eats, right? So he's going in to get the food. And this guy turned up with two Argentinian tegus and wanted the pet shop owner to take them in um, because he wasn't able to keep them anymore. And the pet shop owner was like, I can't take them in. I can't put them in my own stock. I don't know where they've been. So husband arrives home with two tegus. Um, so that's how we ended up with them. Um, the the bearded dragon, he's just cracked. He's just fabulous. He's just so yeah. Just feed me, feed me more, and go away, human. He he's great. You know, he really is. But the the tigus are very boring. I, if you wanted his pets, my guy sleeps and sleeps and sleeps so much. Wake up, eats loads, has a massive foul smelling shit you can't get the smell out of your house for two days and it goes back off asleep again so they're not these aren't pets as far as i'd be concerned this is not the right environment for them um but yeah they are all part of the home so why are you saying that my husband's opinion of reptiles aren't the best pets he may be correct on this I, I, I'm going to agree with them. I'm going to agree. What do I like to do? I like I'm not putting that on the record because that's going to, like, I'm not admitting that he made the <laughs> So let's talk about the dogs then in your house because you have, um, with 12, that's a mixture, like 12. I always like people like, oh, you've got four dogs. And I'm like, yeah, it's hardly any. <laughs> and technically, <laughs> it's only really three because I feel the chihuahuas are like two halves that make holes, so it's fine. Well, I just count by breed. So if you ask me by breed, I've got six dogs, right? <laughs> so you've halved it straight away, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Oh, what absolutely. are there? What is there in your in your home of crazy? So we have apart from a really naughty poodle. We've got three papillons. Mm. Um, Madge is my yeah, Madge is my green star agility grade seven champion. She's super, super amazing. But she was actually enrolled in a study in Michigan for autism in dogs, where they were doing some research for it. So Madge was given to me by the breeder who's very strict guidelines. I couldn't get my first papillon off her without an interview. Amazing. I had to have an interview. I had to have a reference. I had to come to the house. I had to sign a contract. So then she ran me a couple of years later and said she bred this litter, only pup surviving. And she said there's something not right with her. She said, no, she's fitting well. 
but her mom won't have anything to do with her. And um, the older dog, they had a big Belgium that always played the puppies, won't have anything to do with her either. And she said, I just know she's not right. She said she's a very parrot mouth for the paps, very long mouth. Yeah. So I went over and she's playing with a ball. She's a little nine-week-old ball of fluff running around playing with a ball. But then, so I took her home. I took her home and my big Rothweiler, Roman at the time, who since passed, mm-hmm. Roman, 52 kilos in weight. He's sitting there. He turned to scratch his head like this. He just turned his head to scratch. And this nine-week-old Papillon pop, about one and a half kilos in weight, went ball-headed for him. Straight up. Roman got such a fright, he jumped back, hit the glass shelf underneath the TV and the glass shattered all oh over the room. God! That was the night. That was the night we took her home and my husband said to me, hope you know what you've done. And I was like, oh gosh. So she was very, very difficult. um, But she's very, very unique. So she does not eat out of a metal bowl. She will not get into the car on the left side. So if you've got the car pulled up at the curb and you're getting them to come back in, won't get in there, have to get in on your right shoulder. Um, she, You can't put a collar with a disc on it. You absolutely blank, will not move. It has to be a flat disc on the mm-hmm. collar or embroidered on it now. Um, she's very, she doesn't come into the front room with us at all, with all the dogs. She does not want to be around. She doesn't like to be picked up. And she's just, and yet she is a Green Star Agility champion because I saw the behavior. I said, fine, we'll work with what we have. What do you like? So I, I like toys. I like food and I like toys. You just don't have to pick me up. Cool. Super duper, that's what we do. So some, sometimes, of course, I pick her up. So I tell her, Madge, up, up. So when she's getting groomed, for example, up, up. And there's massive food and we do small grooming. But generally speaking, I don't pick her up. And she does not ask to be picked up. And she's even one of these weird dogs that if she did approach you, so you could come in the front room and she might go, hey, carry on, how are you? And she'll come over to you and she have this lovely wiggly body language. And when you pet her, she'll go, get the hell away from me. And she's nine and a half years of age. She's never bit because I've never put her in that situation. And she'd walk away from you. She'd do a whole, wow, shake come back around you and say hi carry on how are you and you go hang on a minute this is not normal so we've got the two traps um um, we've got the poodle and i've got the two border collies edison who's deaf and partially sighted and had his first um agility show last week and we have cody who's blind deaf and epileptic again earlier on we were talking about people breeding and not caring what they're breeding about unfortunately Mm -hmm. With a lot of the farming community, they'll just breed. If they've got a dog that is really good on sheep, they'll just keep breeding regardless of any genetic influences in there. So both of these guys are double merles. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, we've got our double merle collies. And we have Izzy, who's my favorite. She's my collie spaniel. Oh, shouldn't say that. But she's just the most amazing teacher of dog communication skills you could ever ask for she's just amazing um skippy is a crossbreed thing she could be whippet chihuahua i don't know she just is a dog Belong, belonged oh. to a client right had an appointment to feed him for three dogs three entire females three years of age two years of age nine and a half two had come into heat three dogs killing each other no one toilet trained went out to see her on the Thursday and there's a wee little Jack Russell pup in the home and I said oh I only have three dogs oh yeah my husband's friend 
um, gave him this pup on the weekend and I thought, oh, seriously. So with all the stuff going on with the tree in the house, I said, my advice would be give the pup back. Let's work on the tree girls we have here. And on Saturday, she said, I'm typing up a training plan and she sent me an email saying, we've decided to keep the puppy and we'd like the home Skippy. It wasn't her name at the time. Mm -hmm. And Skippy had been left in a skip into foster care went to live with this lady and now coming to me by nine months of age. So she's massive issues with separation anxiety. Then it turned out she developed SLO, which is an autoimmune condition. Okay. So SLO, all of her nails. So we started doing agility with her. And I thought, oh, she must be hitting the contacts wrong. Her nail was breaking. Then the next week was two nails breaking. And then the week after, and they would not properly break off. Like you had to pull them. You had to snip them. I'm like, oh, hang on a minute, this isn't right. So anyway, she's SLO. And then she got a collapsed trachea. Um, so two of my dogs were running side by side and the collie Jack, my daughter's collie Jack, turned real quickly and hit her and hit her in the throat and the trachea collapsed. So we almost lost her then. So yeah, so she's, she, God love her. She's such a sweet, sit me on your lap, feed me loads of stuff, give me loads of cuddles and I'm just yours. And that's all she wants. <laughs> So yeah, that that that's our, our mixture of guys, and of course, as I said, the poodle. I feel like I'm forgetting someone there. Oh, the lurcher. I've had the lurcher. Willow was 13, early kidney disease, unfortunately. Um, he was surrendered uh, to the sanctuary that I'm connected with because he was pissing all over the new decking, and so they didn't want him anymore. And he'd never been in a home, so he was a nightmare when we got him. He wasn't good with dogs. He wasn't great on a lead. He robbed everything. He wasn't toilet trained. He was a bloody nightmare when we got him. So yeah, most of mine are kind of, as I said, Skippy was a client. Madge came from the breeder. I had the previous pup from, and she only yeah. would let her go to someone that would work her. So most of mine have, if you like, additional needs or something else with mm -hmm. attached to them. You've, you've got a few secondhand ones. Yes, yes. Pre-loved. <laughs> Yeah, pre-loved, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I always joke about um, Dodge being a second-hand shepherd, bless him. Um, but I think the the whole double male thing, because um, I did the episode with um, Taz Nichols and Adira, his girl, um, yeah. was um, double male. Again, they were trying to be breed some sort of cool-looking bat thing, and she's blind, deaf, has... They've had real kind of resource guarding issues with her, but she's getting better. Um, Taz has got a poodle that's a male that's a dickhead as well, actually. So, but he's one of the one, not miniature. Um, and actually, the the two that I train, um, I train two females and two males, and one of the males is a bit of a knob as well. So, yeah, um, Tash, if you're listening, Goose is wicked, but he's still a dick. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But I think for me, with the whole collies that come out blind and deaf due to double male mating, it boils my piss because there's no need for it in this day and age when we know that male to male breeding is so dangerous and the chances of producing. And I love the fact that you call them additional needs dogs and I'm stealing that because it's brilliant. But the fact that you know you are going to be producing dogs that have additional needs is just so fucking irresponsible. Like, it really is. But you know the Frenchies are going to go down 
the line of the exact same thing because every French and I, I, I'm actually in clinic this evening. I work in veterinary clinic voluntary as well. So every Frenchie that comes into us has uh, either Merle or it's a silver that's coming in and they were all done by AI. And there mm. is literally like a factory of them here and it's all AI and nobody is screening anything and all of them. So I, we use a drug called Cyto, um, Cytopoint to deal with allergies with the dogs. And I'm keeping a, a little study book to see the types of dogs coming in, their coloring, what condition they're in when they're coming in. Mm -hmm. um, is it a first dose, how long it's lasting? And the amount of the silver and blue Staffordshire's and Frenchies and Daxies that I have in with that, is higher than our white dogs, which have predominantly more allergies anyway. So that is higher. And that will tell you we've got a problem here. This is an issue. Well, because I mean, I don't know what it's like over there, but over here, it was always an ongoing joke that, you know, those rare blue Staffords and every other Stafford is blue. <laughs> like, there's nothing rare about them anymore. Uh, but the gene pool to get that colour was very small to start with so any problems that were in that gene pool are going to have been passed on passed on passed on um chihuahuas you occasionally see males but i think chihuahua people are maybe liking the more solid colors more so you i haven't actually fortunately yet i haven't met a double male chihuahua thank god and i hope it stays that way but what I'm seeing from the Chihuahua side, and I said now, you know, I wouldn't have one now because they're not being bred for temperament at all. They are nervous. They are showing signs of aggression because the nervousness, and they're just not sound. Like I mean, even the difference between Chica and Minx, Chica, the, the mama dog I've got, she is epic. She tried her paw at every single sport you can imagine. She's a great little companion dog. She's awesome. And her daughter, who I was very careful with picking the stud dog and all the rest of it, but Minx still shows signs of fear aggression. And, you know, if she was the same size as the creature, she'd be blooming dangerous. It's only because she's five kilos yeah. and I can pick her up if I need to. But going back to what you were saying about your pap, she does have um, a pickup cue from me, but also she has a pickup cue to ask me to pick her up when she's not comfortable. Because we got to the point in the wow. world, she would come over and be like, oh, there's a thing. One of her triggers is oodly types because they tend to be bouncy and a little bit rude. She mm. sees an oodly thing and I'll call her. And if she comes over and puts her paws on my foot or on my leg, that means I want up now don't leave me on the floor if I leave her on the floor yeah. chase the fecker away which people find hilarious but actually I don't really want her practicing that behavior but again it's it's breeding for temperament not just color and unfortunately the trend now is what looks pretty does it absolutely is it yeah. does it have pretty blue eyes is it pale what they're not seeing is that male colouring that is so stunning. When you put that together twice, you're going to cause genetic problems. Yeah, absolutely. And and uh, just look, 
Air Canal Club would not be amazing when it comes to regulations and being on top of the amount of dogs registered to one bitch. But at least they have come out and said, we're not registering any merle to merle mating, so forget about it. At least they have exactly. come out and said that with the merle to merle with the collies. And I think um, back in the early 2000s, they tried to do merle to merle Doberman or the white Doberman. And that was a disaster, absolute disaster that was as well. And look, as you said, there's no reason for them. We adore Cody. We adore him so much. I have to tell you the story. So Cody is two and a half years of age. He's not neutered. And my question will be, well, do I need to get him neutered? And then early this year, he swung his face. He got a scent out on a walk and he swung his head around so quickly. He hit the bark of a tree and it cut him across the face. Mm -hmm. And he was doing that, you know, when they're testing the, the tasting the hormones in the grass. I and could have bit him. Uh, 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 and I thought, mm, yeah, I see that. So <laughs> I teased about him getting neutered. Now he's, um, he is touchwood. He is a year and a half seizure free. Mm -hmm. um, he's still on his medication. And I did think about it, um, about getting him done. And my 18 year old daughter, who incidentally is doing intellectual disability uh, nursing, um, she said to me, if you get him neutered, I will, and anything happens to you, anything happens to him, I will kill you and kill myself. So, <laughs> no pressure. No pressure. So we're not getting him neutered. Right? Uh -huh. <laughs> but the thing is that, I mean, um, so one of my, a training friend and client, um, her visualist got um, epilepsy. But they actually found that having him neutered and the combination of the medicines helped him because he was he was just in a whole place. But she went down the super Lauren route first to kind of try it. Yeah. Now, with Dodge at the moment, you know, I've had people say to me, oh, when are you getting him neutered? Well, with there being a question mark over his hips right now, I'm not because I want all the testosterone I possibly Absolutely. Yeah. those joints and muscles where I can. But I think it's, again, gr even growing up, like we, I think I'd certainly had it drummed into me, like, you know, responsible owners got their dogs neutered and you had yeah. dogs and you, you were a bad owner if your dog was not neutered. But I think now we're understanding a bit more of the science behind what hormones do. And I think neutering needs to be looked at on a dog to dog basis and certainly neutering before a year old in anything bigger than 10 kilos is questionable. Yeah. Yeah. I, and you know, I have to agree. And again, from that rescue background, it was no neutral six months, neutral yes. six months, neutral six months. Yeah. And we have, I want to say we have a horrible breeder over here that charges two and a half thousand euros for miniature uh, Australian doodles that have poodle, cocker, spaniel, and Labrador in them. And she charges two and a half thousand euros and she's all of the pups fixed by eight weeks of age before they go to homes. And she said she's doing it for the health of the breed. And <coughs> I said, Sorry, <laughs> yeah, I said, absolutely, she's doing it to keep the money in her 
pocket because she's selling these and it is appalling and I have a massive issue with it and every one of them I've seen have been nuts. But how can the vet performing that procedure ethically? Yeah, that would be my question. How, How is that ethical to perform that procedure on such a young puppy? Because for for people kind of like listening that maybe aren't into sort of like the hormone side things it would be the equivalent of giving a toddler a hysterectomy oh it's appalling it's absolutely (laughs) how he can stand over it how he can do it i mean i'd have uh, my vet would say to me if i went down the road of just like you and you're thinking about do i need to get the surgery done for him or not my vet will be well do you let's hang on so for example Cody on his epilepsy medication mm-hmm. initially it was you know we need to get my blood test on after six months or three months to see how the medication is interacting with him and I got the blood test done and everything was great and then about six months later they said to me one of the other vets said to me oh maybe you need to get it done again and I said why I said if the treatment is working he's fit and he's well he's eating mm-hmm. getting him a blood test is an interfering procedure as far as I'm concerned yeah. and what am I going to do if it says oh, his kidneys are start getting knackered he needs the, the medication to stop him having seizures so what am I going to do about it so that 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 would be my attitude to mm-hmm. it and the senior vet in the practice would have the same attitude but equally then another vet in the same practice might say, oh, you know, we should get the blood test done. And I go, but why? Why? Mm-hmm. If, if he's doing well, he's not having seizures. He looks great. It, what am I going to do? Change his medication? Uh, he still has that medication. So w- what is the benefit to it? It is an invasive yeah. procedure as far as I'm concerned. And I'm going to have to hold this blind deaf dog while somebody is hurting him. So you tell me where the value is in that. So that that has always been my thing about it as well. And yeah, you know, it comes down to common sense, ethics, people, people being able to speak up for their dogs and people having the information that it's OK to ask why. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like with my guys, I tend to do sort of an annual blood test rather than going down there. Let's just vaccinate our dogs. I try to test my dogs. Also, now the girls are all kind of in double figures age wise. It for me, I was like, well, I want to know that the liver and the kidneys and everything else is okay. And that's all working. It's fine. My old terrier, God rest him, you know, we took him in, had one lot and it was like, yeah, you know, everything's looking right. And then the following year it was actually, no, his liver function is not good now. He, he was nearly 15 around that age. He was, he was a bit of a rehome job, but I understand like, especially with blind deaf dogs and stuff like the level of training is going to be harder because they're losing two of the senses to be aware of what's going on. My girls have all been trained to blood draw and we can do a um, either a leg draw or um, we normally do a juggler draw with them yeah. with a chin target. And they are all as comfortable as they can be and they're accepting of it. The shepherd, on the other hand, it, it's the most traumatic thing. I'm dreading going to see the specialist and I have asked for them to um, give me some pre-visit pharmaceuticals for him because when we took him in for the x-rays, he was trying to eat the vet before the vet had even got out the door of the office. Like, and I was I like, oh, okay, so this is how our day's going, great. And it breaks my heart that 
he is so nervous. But to the untrained eye, all they see is an aggressive shepherd. He's doing it because he's terrified. Yeah, of course he is. Well, of course he is. That's exactly it. Of course he is. It is so unnatural. And and I always say to people, well, your dog would be want to be pretty stupid to keep walking into a vet's going, hey, that's okay, because we don't do anything nice to them in the vets. We stick stuff up the backside and we're taking blood and we're wearing masks in our clinic now when we're all gowned up and everything. Don't be pretty stupid to go, hey, that's okay. That's no problem. Yeah. You know, so I, I, I have no issue with dogs being reactive in the vets because I think it's one of the most shut down unnatural environment they're going to go in and we usually only bring them there for vaccines neutering if they're sick and they're unwell so they're already miserable or painful so I don't I don't have an issue with it people come into me in the clinic go now he might be a bit aggressive that's fine that's cool let's just leave him alone just drop the lead there on the floor and let's just chat and tell me what's going on and take yeah. your hands off them but some of the vets are now up on the table i had one lady that went to a vet because her dog has her collie has complete ocd behaviors never had the dog before he's fixating on the ceiling lights jumping up trying to get it come down and smash the shoulder mm-hmm. very painful already um already a dog that will use his teeth in any way to defend himself even if you're taking the harness off and he doesn't want you to take the harness off he'd use his teeth so we were um already working with this lady and this incident happened and she took the dog down to the vets and the vet said if he comes down here like that again i think the best thing is to put him to sleep he was in pain his shoulder was smashed. He had a smashed femoral head from where he landed. He was in absolute agony. And the vet wanted to poke and prod him. And this dog is clearly saying, get away from me. Mm-hmm. Just give him a sedative and look at him. There's yeah. the simple solution. Yeah. But instead she came away with, and then it's like, oh my God, I really need to get help with him. He's so bad. And I went, he's in pain. I said, I'm not being funny, but if you try to do something to me and I'm painful, I'm probably going to smack your hands away. So again, it's about being their voice. It's about understanding the circumstances that they're in and the place that they're in and whether they're pain-free or not pain-free at the time and putting that into context when we're dealing with behavior. Yeah, exactly that. So let's go into this because you, I'm pretty sure I heard you correctly when you said one of your colleagues that is blind and deaf does agility. So the deaf wow. guy, so Edison is deaf and partially sighted. Partially sighted. Okay. Yeah, partially sighted. So he's got a like webbing on his left eye and okay. it's like looking through a net. So um, there's actually the video that I put up from doing, I was so proud and the judge came over to me and he said, oh my God, he's lovely. Um, the video I put up, you can clearly see I'm indicating to take this jump but he literally walks around it. And I, well, I think I'm clearly indicating I'm doing this with the hand as you come out of the tunnel. We call that the wanky hands. Yeah. <laughs> the wanky hand. Right. Well, we're, we're not indicating that behavior, I think. It's give me attention. Um, the, the thread or fist to join your dog towards you. But when you watch them wandering around at crafts and competitions, they're doing the wanky hand. You'll never unsee it now. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. That's forever etched in my brain now. So you'll see that he 
walks around the jump and I have to indicate it again to him to bring him back around and then oh yeah jump there mm -hmm. so we need to have the space and the distance to be able to see it and that's why you know he's three and a half now um he before in February and that's why we've only just started not that I've only just started but I spent so long doing baby stuff trying yeah. to give him as much information see what works and it was a real real eye-opener for me when I could do clearly I could push him around on the right no problem but when I went to do my left movement he was going around the left walking right past the jump and coming around he wasn't seeing the jump as he turned to do it yeah. so a very interesting experience for us but you know he's amazing he's absolutely amazing his very first competition he did a flying seesaw I didn't get out ahead of him to indicate seesaw for him so he went straight up on the seesaw and came off it so I brought him back and to do it and the judge was like oh do it again give him another shot do it again he's brilliant Aww. so I love, I love that with him um um I I love that with him I love that experience and that journey with him and it's not that he's been he's been quite easy now he's very lazy for a collie he kind of fooled me a little bit and made me think you know maybe they're not that bad maybe I've been get maybe it always has been the owners it's always been this collie is fab so then Cody arrived and Cody's blind and deaf, but Cody wants to herd the sheep. I need to work and I need a job and I need to herd the sheep. So he was and has been a handful and he's a hard work dog for sure. Mm -hmm. And then then I, I, the whole thing happened then um, with my mom. I was supposed to get um, a pup that I had booked from a lady in the UK and that turned out to be a disaster. I never got the pup. My mom was diagnosed with cancer. She died earlier than we taught. Mm -hmm. Cody, I was asked to take him foster and I knew he was never going to go because my heart needed something at that stage. So yeah. Cody stayed. And then he got epilepsy at four and a half months of age, had his first seizure, which was saying is not normal. This is probably brain damage because usually idiopathic epilepsy with collies is about your 18 months to three years of age type of thing is yeah. the mean average for it so I was like oh my god everything that's gone wrong is going wrong mm -hmm. um with poor Cody but he immediately his intelligence was so apparent he has his novice intermediate and advanced tricks titles he's doing man trailing in two weeks time he is downstairs shouting at my husband because he needs to have his kong now I have three and you need to get down he's just amazing he's just like fabulous amazing dog but very very difficult in that he was you talk about those puppy years he wants it through a blank wall a flat wall nothing to grip on it we went for a 20 minute walk weird walk no dogs i'm trying to get my extra thousand steps and i go oh, quick and i right just right mm. and came back and he'd eaten a hole about that size but the size of a plum in a blank wall <laughs> because we didn't leave him with something to do because when i left he was asleep and i said okay he's great we go we'll be back and he woke up and went hmm what else will I do? Oh, there's no one here. I'll do this. This this wall is here. This is what I'll destroy. So he's been a very, oh, a very difficult, tough dog to have, but we adore him. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Just adore him. He just was, when people, I said to my clients, give me three things your dog loves. Oh, he loves the ball. He loves this. He loves that. Cody loves the cuddles. He loves you to scratch his back. He loves to sit beside you. He just loves to be with you. And, and that is phenomenal. That's adorable. 
And how do how do the two um the two deaf dogs kind of integrate with the others? Are they kind of sort of is everyone in together or do you have a bit more control and management where they're a bit more separate or how do you so, cope in the multi-dog universe? So what happened with these guys was I had to put a baby gate up, a big a bigger than a baby gate up um, to separate Cody away from the others. So even things like Skippy, the dog that I mentioned, because of her SLO, she's got early onset uh, blindness. So she's losing her sight mm -hmm. and she's going quite deaf. And Cody come in as this puppy and just goes splat, splat, splat. I want to get on top of the couch. And Skippy's like, whoa, what are you? I don't want you here on top of me. Yeah. And she has developed this really good way of communicating with him that's almost a vibration she vibrates she gets into this ball and she vibrates that he can feel and you see him approaching and he's coming in his big happy head and he just stops a couple of inches from her and he gently snips towards her and then he stands still and he's not sure what he should do so we bring him away from that but she's mm -hmm. communicating to him in the best way she thinks will work for him maybe yep. maybe she's reading that he's blind and deaf I don't know that for sure maybe she is but she's communicating as best as she can to him so we do have a gate up to separate him especially if we're out because yeah. we don't want to put him at risk it's of being injured and absolutely my, my dogs are great but no dog has to tolerate another dog standing all over it while it's trying to get on the couch beside them or anything else so mm -hmm. they have taken time interesting uh, one was Zach came along about two months after Cody and Cody was um, Cody and Zach very close in age and they played together played together till after he had his first seizure and Zach does not want him around him at all and he's he growl and Zach is my second dog that comes at me for temperament for assisting with behavioral work because he's just phenomenal he's brilliant he's so solid but Cody had a seizure in front of him and he's like I don't like that I don't like that at all this is not normal and whether it was their responses whether it was their panic and get the dogs all out and deal with the dog here but he went, you know what, I don't like that. So it's interesting that they were these kind of played with each other, played tug a lot, sleep in the same bed. And after he had that season, he went, or that seizure, he went, uh -uh, not mm -hmm. for me. So yeah, it, it was interesting as well. But yeah, how I keep them together is I, I, I keep them safe. That's how yeah. I keep them together. I keep them yeah. safe. And that's it then. There's some of my dogs will happily lump along with each other, no problem. Madge absolutely has to have her space on her own in the kitchen. Skippy, I keep her safe because her eyesight is really, really bad. I nearly lost my finger actually giving her a treat the other day. She completely missed and camped down on it. Nothing in it, just that she wasn't seeing the treat yeah, itself. Yeah, yeah. So for safety, that's how I keep them. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So with one of the things i just want to touch on with you before we wrap up was um and we kind of because we try and do, i try and do some planning on the episodes um a little bit sort of i don't until we just chat but we did mention about ptsd in dogs because i think it's something that people aren't really aware of i think it's something that people don't consider and i've certainly we know that dogs learn and we know that certain events or things can become predictors so over here when um everyone was clapping for the nhs that was cool and then all of a sudden they started letting off fireworks after they clapped for the nhs 
because that's helpful when you've got yeah. a highly noise sensitive dog in the house. When Munch now hears clapping, she has the same response she does to thunder and fireworks because to her, clapping is now a predictor of the scary things about to happen. Absolutely. So Absolutely. that is a kind of very generalized version of PTSD, not in that she's had a really traumatic experience, but that she has paired this with this and she doesn't like it. So we then get the fear response. I'm assuming Skippy has got some leftover baggage from being dumped in a skip. Well, I'm going to say to you that I'm, because I'm doing this kind of, I'm not, I'm not an expert on this at all. I'm just continually taking information from my clients and I'm building up this mm -hmm. kind of bank of information. For me, the learned behavior, post-traumatic. So my, my question was, when I started to think, could dogs have post-traumatic stress syndrome? Mm -hmm. And what is the difference between post-traumatic stress syndrome and a learned response to stimulus? What is the difference for it? Mm -hmm. And for me, I said, well, well, how do we define post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, mm -hmm. um, which I'll refer to it instead of saying post-traumatic stress disorder all the time. Yeah. How, how do we define it? So we define it because it's often caused by a very stressful or frightening event. And if you wanted to go one step further, there is actually chronic post-traumatic stress or complex post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And complex is when they are exposed to something over long periods, usually by the person most responsible for caring for them, and usually done through those development periods as well when they're very young. Mm -hmm. So this for me was trying to define is this alert because we can have a dog so my poodle started to bark at men when he was about maybe 12 14 months of age and he lives with my son and my husband he started to bark at men only out on walks and nothing horrible had happened there was no trauma attached to it he just thought hey, you're different you're a bit tall you've got a beard or whatever it was that he mm -hmm. decided he's a bit frightened of and so then he started to bark at other men and so he was now generalizing this fear and it was becoming a learned behavior and we had to do loads of work on that mm -hmm. and now he walked past a hundred of them and if there's one that he gives a second look to I ask for his watch me behavior if we do watch me we're good we're all good no problem mm -hmm. so the dogs I was seeing that didn't quite fit into that category that I was saying are these PTSD dogs what was it that they had in place? So let me give you two of my cases. I find these fascinating. Mm -hmm. One of them was a dog that came out of a domestic violence situation. The lady and her child or children, I'm not sure, ended up going into a refuge and the dog came in for homing. And the late, one of the women that volunteers at the centre adopted this dog, took the dog home, mm -hmm. and they have no children. They're an older couple, exactly what a dog like this needed. Lots of space, big open plan, living environment area, lots of space away, no crazy noises, everything lovely. Dog adjusted great. And they went to a party one night and they came back husband said he had a few drinks on him, a bit worse for wear came in dog come over say hello and and I obviously wasn't there but yeah. what he said was the dog 
almost recoiled back over himself to escape away from the man and bolted back to his bed. And then the man went, hey, what's wrong? What is it? It's me. Went over to reassure him and the dog was, get away from me. Yeah. And so when that happened, they thought, well, is it because it was dark? Is it because we were loud? And they're chatting to me and I go, oh, my God, it's the alcohol. Because when the fighting happened in the home, alcohol was the trigger that was there. Mm -hmm. And he approached the man in his normal way. He said, like, if I come down from the shower, he comes over to me going, hi, how are you, Dave? Or whatever the guy's name was. Hi, how are you? Wiggly, wiggly, wiggly. Mm -hmm. Says hello to him. And he approached him in the same way, got close to him, and then almost recoiled back over himself. Yeah. So this was something that had triggered in the dog because of the background and it was in a set of circumstances that were very unique mm-hmm. um, and when he took the dog out then to play the next day he came back around and he was fine and everything was great and their relationship was back to being okay and he was he seemed to be over it, it was fine Another case I have is a greyhound that came from a halting site that was lots of scars, doesn't look great, very emaciated when he came in, had some leg trauma that never had been seen to professionally to heal. Um, But once this greyhound went cozy sofa, happy days, three square meals a day, happy days. After his initial which is very common with post-traumatic stress, this anxiety-related behavior of pacing, not being able to settle, jumping up very quickly. After we worked on all of that, the dog seemed fine. And then they had an incident. They'd been, he, one of the things I would say that was, that was really unique to this guy was he didn't sleep for long periods. And he didn't seem to rest, even when he was lying there asleep. He'd sleep with one eye open and one ear up. And he'd lie there. And he appeared to be tired. And he was getting a little bit agitated because he wasn't quite sleeping. So in that case, I did have to do a veterinary referral. And we got him some uh, supplements to help him relax a little bit more. But once he got settled into the home, we were able to take him off those supplements. And he was fine. And then they went to the beach, lovely day, long day out at the beach. Everything was great. He was really exhausted, came home, was in a deep sleep and their neighbor drives a van and he slammed the van door and the dog came out of the sleep and where the bed was, where the coffee table, so bed, coffee table, their sofa Mm -hmm. and being a greyhound, stretched his body across the coffee table their eyes were wide, his teeth were completely stripped and he had this feral growl from him. They got such a fright, they jumped up and they're trying to talk to him and it was just not getting through there. Mm-hmm. It was not getting through. They had to walk out of the room and leave him. And so when I'm looking for, is this PTSD? I'm looking for a trauma, but I'm looking for recovery. He was so long to recover, to come back around from it as well that when he finally went into this lovely deep sleep, finally settled, finally could relax, this bang happened. Imagine like um, the recent one I was reading about people from uh, 9-11, the survivors and people that lost loved ones and their post-traumatic 20 years later is still very, very Mm -hmm. much um, evident that when this bang happened, he was right back in that place. He couldn't hear the owners. He couldn't recover. The breathing was very, it was panting. He was so stressed. He was still stressed the next day. He was skittish. 
you had to go back on to the medication for a few weeks mm-hmm. and then because I'm curious right so I, a little bit of me has a problem with desensitization if I equate it to something like let's say I'm doing an agility course mm-hmm. and I walk my one to 21 and I jump 11 I've got this plan in my head how am I going to get around the course and I jump 11 my dog knocks a jump mm-hmm. I've already moved to uh jump 12 for obstacle 12 mm-hmm. but I handle it shite because my brain is aware that that has happened yep that that 11 has gone down we're not going to recover from and chances are I get myself eliminated but if you were watching it from the outside I'm still in motion I'm still telling my dog to do things mm-hmm. I'm just handling crap because my brain is aware and with the PTSD guys especially we talk about desensitization so let's say it's a bang or firework and it's on the lowest volume you play it but what if what if the dog is actually already triggering he's eating the something nice he's heard it on the lowest level and the brain has already said "Uh oh but I'm I'm still eating the something nice because I like it Mm. so I started to go hmm because just like I was able to do the rest of that agility course. My brain knew that had happened. And I, I'd still be on the course saying, great, good boy, go weave, go weave. I'm still going to do all that. But my brain knew that something had happened. So I don't think we can, I don't think we can acknowledge that trigger stacking exists and not think that they couldn't hear this sound on the lowest volume, not be triggered, albeit not appear to be triggered because yeah. they're still eating a nice thing. Yeah. And where are they where are they emotionally? And then I'm keeping them there, my blackmailing them there with the nice thing. So yeah. I try to bring as much choice into it as possible. I try to let the dog move away. If you know, I always let the dog move away. I try to make it be his choice. I try to have him doing the nice pleasant things before I would even have it on the lowest volume for it to yeah. happen and see does anything change yeah. um, with that. See, is there any changes? Does he eating from the lick mats and then he hears the noise and it's just a flick of the ear but I'm still hearing the noise and then I'm saying he's already triggered but for me when I'm looking at and as I said this is ongoing research for me yeah 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 and I'm very, so interesting but I'm very conscious of it because you remember Carrie-Anne we had an issue with people saying um cockroach syndrome and every time a cocker spaniel displayed any kind of actually I don't want you to take that bone away from me that you yeah. gave me every time he did you go I think I have a dog with cocker spaniel uh, cockroach syndrome yeah so I'm very very careful to label anything in case that anything ends up being a dog that is misdiagnosed so I'm I'm in this midst where I'm building this profile I'm getting as much information as possible I'm trying to see tick the boxes they have in common um do we absolutely know the background do we know that there has been trauma um do we how have the owners handled it have they handled it in any kind of adverse ways what are the recovery like for the mm-hmm. dog is it specific so if it's specific to a, a bang so this dog incidentally this greyhound could go past the van and hear a bang or a car door slam look around and continue walking it was Mm -hmm. when he was in that deep sleep moment that if it happened 
he was right back in whatever had happened to him mm -hmm. when he was younger. He was right back in that. And so that that's where I am with the PTSD. I find it fascinating. I'm looking at it all the time. Um, I'm looking at the therapies that we use. And then um, Francis, is it Francis Shapiro has a book on EMDR um, at the oh. moment? I think it's Fra Francine, Francine Shapiro has a book on the EMDR, which is the eye movement desensitization. And when you look at particularly breeds like Border Collies and German Shepherds and the eye movement, mm -hmm. how does that relate to working with our dogs? So I, I'm just fascinated by all this yeah. field, but I'm not going to say that I'm any expert on it. I'm like every other dog trainer. We're learning. We're learning as we go along. We're learning from our clients. We're learning from the cases that we have. And then just because I'm a bit curious, I'm a bit yeah. nosy, I have to ask. Yeah. That, that's where I am on that journey. Well, um, I always say that the, the Dunning-Kruger effect is very real. Um, you know, right. like we all thought we were an expert when we did that first little dog training course. And then we went, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Which Absolutely. is very funny. But just going back to the PTSD, um, and I know that my friend won't mind me kind of relaying this story to you, but... Um, he um, is ex-soldier. He toured in Afghan. Um, he unfortunately lost part of his unit due to um, mines. And he was on one of my hoops instructors courses one day. And we were outside, lovely field. Um, all dog trainers all having a laugh, blah, 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 blah. And I suddenly watched him glaze over. And I was like, Guys, do you know what? I really need the look. Can we just have a break quickly? Because I didn't want to like draw attention to it. And I could just see him glazing. And then I realized I could hear a helicopter. And in that oh. moment, him hearing that helicopter was a trigger. Yeah, he was back and there. He, he lives in quite a countryside area and me, me and his friend were like, he laughs and jokes about it, but he'll be like, oh, don't, there's days where if a freaking bird scarer goes off and I'm not in the right place, I'm hitting the deck shouting, take cover, because he was trained to respond to, but due to horrific circumstances, every now and again, his brain and body go, we're back here. Yeah, and, and that is the thing so yeah. it would make sense that other sentient beings can suffer from similar, completely. Uh, I, I, yeah, 100% agree, 100% agree. And, and as I said, particularly with the complex one, when it's done during the formative months, it was done by the person that the dog is relying on, that that person might lie to them. One day I'm feeding you and the next day I'm beating you. Mm. Um, that when it's done during that time period and sustained, then it's not just the brain, it is absolutely the body, it's the physiological effect of it as well. Mm -hmm. This greyhound, when he was snarling, and after they were able to get back into the room and talking nicely, and they got the treats, and they were waving the ham around and trying to get his senses to kick mm -hmm. in, peed all over himself oh. as well. Yes, his heart. So, how can that dog not have PTSD? Yeah. How can he not? You know, where well, you've got to look at it like that um, and complex PTSD as well. So it's just dividing that 
learned response behavior to a stimulus that might make the dog frightened mm -hmm. versus saying, is this PTSD? And for me, I'm trying to say, is there trauma? What's the recovery like? Did it affect the body and the brain? Was there physiological signs afterwards? Mm -hmm. Even things like self-mutation. Some of the dogs you see and they're biting and biting and biting and biting. They're, yeah. they're hurting themselves. You know, what is going on there? So, and they are very long, difficult cases. Yeah. And I think we touched on it earlier on that sometimes clients want quick fixes. And these are absolutely yeah. not a hope in hell. This is for life. This is probably for life. You and yeah. I get stressed, pick up the phone, have a natter, have a glass of wine, go for a big walk, whatever. Mm -hmm. Where is the relief for the dog? So this is probably for life with the dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like you saying that is just, you've brought up a, a very childhood memory for me. One of our collies, I grew up with collies and poodles um, and shepherds because clearly those are perfectly same dogs to have in the house. It was the 80s, it happened. But one of the collies we had, Shep, he was a lovely black and white boy and he was secondhand. Dad, my dad used to own a scrapyard and the amount of times dad would acquire a dog. In fact, there were stories of back in the day, him taking puppies as deposits on cars and stuff like it wow <laughs> it was back in the day you know it was it was yeah. you know you see these crazy things but Shep the collie we had you couldn't wear all black you could not wear yeah. a black top and black trousers he just would not whether it was my dad my brothers if they went upstairs got changed came downstairs the dog would stand there and just growl at them and they would go back upstairs. And we used to joke that he was the fashion police and telling them that dressing like a robber was not needed. <laughs> but there must have been something that happened to that dog at some point in his life that black and black was not a good thing. And one of the, dad famously used to tell us the story about, because um, the police used to come around quite often and, you know, it was a scrapyard, so sometimes warm vehicles would turn up at the scrapyard because that's what you do. <laughs> we'll phrase it that way. Yeah. So, yeah, warm, warm vehicles. So Dad had a really good um, relationship with the local police. If he wasn't sure, he'd bring it in. They'd come and check, look, have or give him a list. Look, these have been stolen locally. If anything shows up, let us know. And one of the young, um, one of the young coppers came in, and Dad, he went to come and gate and dad said i'll stop there you need to take your helmet off i'm not taking my helmet off so it's part of my uniform dad went right wait wait there rung the office spoke to the sergeant they're on first name terms his radio went off take your helmet off now the shepherd we had at the time would not let anybody with a hat or helmet on in the yard it would have gone for him Again, it was a secondhand dog. Something had happened. So you saying this, like I've got little anecdotal stories from before I was born that dad told me of years of shepherds that he had ones that wouldn't cope with this, wouldn't cope with that. And I think it's because something traumatic had happened, but dad was savvy enough. And obviously it was the 80s. So it was, well, the dog doesn't like it, so don't do it. Whereas now it's the dog doesn't like it, we'll have to cope, <laughs> which... But that's a whole nother podcast episode. Absolutely. 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 And hopefully a new comedy sketch, actually. There you go. That's a good idea for you. Because I can yeah. uh, get I can remember getting a smack, like an actual, and I'm not saying smacking children is a good thing, but I can remember getting a smack because one of the dogs growled at me and I kept going near them. 
and my dad grabbed me and smacked me around the back of the legs. Yeah, and your dad, unfortunately, is very, very rare when it comes to this. And I, I, I do have to shoot off. I have to go to clinic yeah. this evening. Yeah. But one thing I'm going to say to you, I had a client with a Springer Spaniel puppy and they called me because he was incredibly aggressive, 14 weeks of age. And I said, not likely. What's happening? What happened was their five-year-old came home from school. Mm-hmm. He was asleep in his bed, which is in the middle of Grand Central. It's her playroom area with the TV, with the sofa, with oh everyone around. God. And straight in the door, puppy's asleep in the bed and she jumped in the bed beside him probably need him in the ribs and he bit her on the face and then dad slapped the dog and threw him out and he told me this right and then the incident that happened after that that caused him to ring me was he took something belonged to the child went under the table she tried to get it off him he bit her on the hand dad went in grabbed the dog slapped him dog bit him he then slapped the dog again and threw it outside and I had my very serious face on and I said to them, well, how dare you? I said, if you were asleep in your bed and someone you're only getting to know came into your room, jumped on you, need you in the face, are you going to say, oh, it's okay, no problem. Why do you expect your dog has to put up with that? And why do you think it's perfectly acceptable for a puppy that needs to sleep and grow and rest and observe to have a bed in the middle of your daughter's play area and think he should put up with that? And then it went on, we're having a chat and I bring my Izzy with me Mm -hmm. and the child went to grab Izzy. And I said to her, no, I said, you don't grab someone else's dog. You need to ask their permission. And I said, look at the parents and I say, you see this behavior because you're not dealing with it at home with the puppy is going to get her into trouble. And before I finish the sentence, Carrie Ann, she walked around the back of me and next thing my Izzy squealed because she hugged her from around the back mm. after me telling her no. And the parents said this to me and I am not, as true as I'm sitting here on this chair, the parents said to me, you see, we don't know how to discipline her. And I said to them, mind blown, the actual fuck. <laughs> I said to them, you need to rehome the puppy mm-hmm. because you've already got a dog that is now fearful of men because you've slapped it several times and he was just minding himself. And you might think, and he was still happy go lucky puppy, but that's going to show up somewhere else. That is yeah. absolutely going to show up later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, he's got. Your key continues to set him up to fail because he's in the front room all of the toys and a child that you cannot discipline. So before we end up with a psychopath dog that will absolutely kill someone mm-hmm. and do it what they call out of the blue because he's learned not to yeah, walk. Yeah, because there were no warning signs ever. Absolutely. Before we have a dog that is so shut down to the point of fight to survive, mm. then you need to rehome that dog. I said, and you need to sit and talk to your daughter about how she behaves around dogs because she will lose her face one day. And they just looked at me and they were not impressed by what I said to them. 
But my job is to give it to them from the dog's perspective. My yeah. job is to keep it safe and educate them. But I'm not going to do it and say, well, you know, maybe that was a bloody dangerous circumstances that they were yeah. in. But this is us. So no, dog training is not sweet and light and fluffy and everything. Yeah. And everything. But also sometimes, sometimes it is. <laughs> yeah. So Siobhan, thank you so so bloody much for joining me today i feel like so we've never actually spoken before apart from a facebook message a couple of weeks ago going can you come on my podcast please um <laughs> I, I feel like we've we've had a good natter so thank you so much for that and hopefully um i'm i'm planning to head to your part of the world next year so hopefully our paths can cross and we can actually meet oh, in that would be amazing so if you people come and see my you can come and see my arsehole poodle at the show at an oh my God. Show and i also <laughs> would like to get your collie doing some hoopers because i reckon he would like hoopers um he probably would and actually he doesn't have to worry about turning left because he just has to find the hoop in front of him so it'll be fine um so if people want to find you where do they find the comedy stuff so comedy is under Siobhan's comedy on Facebook oh. um, and also on my uh, personal page as well, which is Siobhan Owens. Um, and I don't put it on my business page in case some of my <laughs> clients twig. I'm talking about them. <laughs> and then my website is Dublin Pet School. Cool. Perfect. So Dublin Pet School, if they want you for training and for trainers listening that want to laugh, um, honestly, go and check out the comedy page because it is brilliant. So until next time, guys, remember, stay safe, be kind, wash your hands thoroughly, keep your dogs on lead around livestock, and don't let them lick toads. And apparently my husband is home. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. For more information on Hoopers, where to find classes and Canine Hoopers World Instructor courses, find us on Facebook, like our page, join our free group, Canine Hoopers World. You can follow us on Instagram and we're also on Twitter at Canine Hoopers. Check out our website, www.caninehoopersworld.com. Remember, Canine Hoopers World, everyone's invited.